0: this is raw cut
1: welcome to life Burst. i i'm
2: sarah
0: and i'm matt well building peacemakers for life what's that about stay tuned
1: yes welcome to life Burst with matt and sarah and today we are talking to the ultimate peacemaker yeah Yep, Angela, <laughs> thank you for coming in and joining
3: us on today's show. Thanks for having me. I think uh, the ultimate peacemaker is Jesus, but anyway.
0: <laughs> okay, well, we'll get to that later. But uh, <laughs> before we before we get to the peacemaking, um, really important part of life uh, and relationships, where did life start out for you, Ange?
3: Yeah, um, I grew up in Morphett Vale um, with mum and dad, and I'm the eldest of two. So my brother's five years younger than me. Um, so yeah, I grew up in Adelaide, pretty much born and bred here and all of my friends and family, um, were here and that didn't really shift until my, you know, early, no, mid twenties. Um, but yeah, childhood was, I went to a public, um, primary school and a public Mm -hmm. high school. Um, Nothing yeah, wrong of that, was that okay or mm-hmm. Um I I guess it had its challenges mm-hmm. and partly that was um due to for health reasons. Um I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid or juvenile idiopathic arthritis when I was three and a half. Um I know it took my parents a long journey to get the diagnosis. Um mum and dad had seen from pretty much from birth Um, that there were some extra issues uh, for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But every time they went to the doctor, the doctor was like, you're just a hypochondriac, like there's nothing wrong with her. You know, the whole first-time mum thing, like you're just Mm -hmm. overprotective and overworried. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't until I was um, three years old that the doctor finally said to mum, in effect, to shut you up, I'll send you to a paediatrician or to a specialist. Um, And it was at that specialist appointment that... um, he looked me over and, um, listened to the history and said to my mum and dad, like, have you ever thought it could be arthritis? And, um, they were like, well, no, but that would make a lot of sense.
2: Um,
3: yeah.
0: So what were some of the things as a three-year-old that you, that, that, they uh, were seeing, they they were seeing, yeah.
3: Yeah. So things like crying for no reason, um, stumbling while walking. Um, they were the main ones that mum tells me about. Um, she said that I would just cry. Um, and obviously that was a pain related thing mm-hmm. um, and I would stumble over myself while crawling and while walking um, just not really meeting the expectations um, of a toddler I guess at that point and even at six months of age mum said like things weren't quite right physically um, yeah so when I was three and a half they Um, I think it was three and a half or four, uh, I spent a week or 10 days, week to 10 days in hospital where they ran a myriad of tests. And um, I I think my memory from that time, um, I have one memory, and that is of being in the art room at the hospital. Um, And I remember wearing, like this is crazy things, right? I remember wearing um, one of those, like a pinafore type thing mm. and painting on this easel. Um, so like mum can tell stories of what that time was like and that, you know, probably wasn't that great, let's be honest, mm-hmm. um, being prodded and poked with needles and, and stretched and all that kind of stuff. But my mom, one memory from that time is painting and being mm. creative. So yeah. um, at that point, like looking back to then, um, that's what I remember. Um, but I guess as life went on, the reality is I've not known a day without pain. Mm. Um, And so mum was really good with the primary school. Like if I just talk about primary school for a minute. um, Mum made sure that all the teachers knew um, of my condition, but we made it pretty public to the kids at school. Um, We wanted them to, wanted my peers to be able to understand that, I have limitations, but I'm still ansh, like I'm I'm still more than capable of a whole lot of stuff. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if I needed to sit on a chair and not on the floor, then this is why. Um, And I think um, I'm going to jump a little bit, but I'm a chaplain now. And so watching kids grow and kids are curious. And I think it's really important to be able to share with them what's going on Mm
4: -hmm.
3: um, because they're not, Judgmental, like they actually just have a curious mind and want to learn. So it's actually a perfect opportunity at that age to go. You know, this is what's going on in age appropriate appropriate language. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was yeah, that was part of the the primary school journey was letting the kids know um, what was going on. <laughs> One of my other memories is a um, kindergarten. So I'm blind in my right eye, and um, initially the doctors had thought I just had a lazy eye and so they put a patch on one eye and mum tells this story that I would just, she would put the patch on me at kindy and I would just sit on the ground and basically just do nothing. Just
1: cross your arms and sit on the ground and do nothing,
3: yeah. <laughs> because I couldn't see. Like they were effectively mm-hmm. blinding yeah. me yeah. for that period of time. Yeah. And, yeah, so the whole arthritis thing and the blind and the eye thing um, – in the early '80s, these things weren't really picked up on very quickly, um, and the medication that was available, um, they took a very conservative approach for me.
1: I was going to ask, what type of medications were
4: you on?
3: Yeah, so I didn't really start medication until I was six or seven. From like this is my recollection; mum might have a slightly different story. But um, at that point, it was only things like slow-release aspirin, um, okay. and then heading into anti-inflammatories. Yeah. So the disease modifiers didn't start until I was about 12. Yeah. Um, and I've only recently started on a biologic. Mm. Um, I think because of the slow and conservative start, um, there was a lot of physical intervention. So through primary school, um, junior primary and primary school, I was at hospital three times a week, physio, OT, hydrotherapy, mm. Um mm. About the age of five to eight or five and six particularly, my knees were bent at about 40 degrees Mm -hmm. and so I'd have to be strapped into splints, like a double splint, leg splint, Mm -hmm. overnight, all night. Um, And then throughout that childhood, so particularly from like five to 12, there were leg splints, arm splints, hand splints. Um, So basically sleeping was hell. Mm. Um, It was not a fun time. Um, and,
0: yeah. and through all this, you said you haven't known a day of, without pain in your life. So pain was a significant constant through all of this.
3: Yeah, I think uh, there is definitely, there the, has been a significant, like there's just there's been this constant mm. and it would be whether it bumped up. Um, sometimes it would bump up and not come down. It would bump up and then plateau again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to say that right now I'm in a good space. Like mm. there is pain, but it's definitely manageable but
1: it's kind of just pain that's always there disclaimer for everyone i did use <laughs> yeah. it's not why this interview is happening because of that connection but um yeah i i understand what you mean and when uh, you ask people oh was that well particularly for me uh with my organization kids arthritis you ask kids to say what does arthritis pain feel like they can't really give you an answer um now that you're older Can you answer that
3: question well? I don't know that I can, to be honest.
4: Um,
3: Because I think having grown up with it, there is that constant background level of pain. Mm. Um, And then for me now, there's additional aches and it it is so varied. So even as a kid, it could be... um, an ache, a bit like a toothache but in a knee that doesn't go away or it could be um, like someone trying to drive a nail into a joint and that doesn't go away for mm-hmm. a while. Like, mm-hmm. Or like there were days that I woke up and I couldn't walk because um, my effectively my foot ended up coming away from my ankle and from my leg. So I ended up walking almost on my leg bone and later have to have restorative surgery to basically put the foot back in alignment um, along the way. And there was a whole lot of stuff that happened like that. So th- there's only one connected joint in my hands, of both hands, and it's this one. And the only reason that is connected is because the surgeons fused it. Everything else is dislocated. Um, and that's effectively what happened with my feet as well. They They dislocated along the way. So but I guess for a kid, like, I guess I just didn't know whether from one day to the next, whether I'd be able to walk the next day or how long it would take me to get going. Um, but that was normal. Um, that's right. That's right. And what
1: you went through and are going through is really common and, yeah. and you're not the only one. And I want to express that to anybody who is is, is watching, you know, if you are really sort of touching with anything that we're, being shared Mm -hmm. today just know that yeah you aren't the only one there so we're going to continue this story straight after this here on life Burst with matt and sarah
2: if you like what you're hearing please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app or you can share this on social media this is life burst with sarah and matt we're
0: chatting to angela uh, talking about growing up yourself with uh, with arthritis, which is now known as juvenile arthritis, mm. uh, how as a young person, going through all of the, the pain, the physical symptoms, you've, you've shared that your school was supportive, your mum was supportive, mm. but, but how did it feel and affect you at the time, especially looking back?
3: Yeah, I think when I reflect on it, there was a lot of normality to it, like, um, as in life was just life and I had friends. Um, but in the hardest moments, I, I didn't have anyone else to relate to. Um, when I went to hydrotherapy, I was the youngest person in the pool. Um, when I went to hospital stays, I was always the youngest person on the ward. Um, and so it was really, I think... It's almost like I was trying to assimilate into society and just be one of everyone else, even though I was going through things that nobody else around me was. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a real challenge um, because I couldn't really share my story with the kids around me. Um, So I guess I became a listener in that regard. Like I became the one that people came to, um, because I wasn't running around on the oval. I was sitting on the bench watching. Um, but yeah, deep down, I think there was an element of where do I fit? Like, how do I fit? Um, yeah. So for kids today going through these things, like Sarah has already said, like, to know that you're not alone. Like there are many others going through things, whether it be arthritis or diabetes or cancer or all, all manner of things. And I wouldn't dare put any of them and say that we, th- there's no hierarchy. Like there's no, I don't want to say there's one thing worse than the other. Like your story is your story. Your pain is your pain. And your journey through that is yours. Um, does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say? Yeah. It does. It does it right. Yeah were you bullied? Um, I actually didn't experience bully bullying until high school. So primary school was a really beautiful place. I think mum and dad, particularly mum's advocacy in the school and the teachers at primary school were really, like I said earlier, really quick to mm. educate um the kids but also educate the other families in the school about what I what the condition was, what I could and couldn't do, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and they journeyed with me through a whole lot of stuff. Um, they journeyed with me through like, I had a, we had a car accident where I fractured my skull, nearly went into a coma, fractured my ankle at the same time. So effectively I nearly like I could have died. Um, that was back in 1986. There was a um, a blowout, and we rolled end on end. So we were doing 80. I'm going to segue for a second. Mm. It's okay. We were, um, I was in the back seat of the car. Back in the days when there were no seatbelts in the back seat. Please wear a seatbelt. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> um, no seatbelts in the back seat. 80 k's an hour. Um, tire blew out. We verged right. We verged left. We verged right. I remember looking out the window at that point and seeing a green Commodore pretty much heading straight head on. Mm. Um, And then next thing I know, like, there's just black. Um, So we, the car had flipped end on end um, three or four times and had landed upside down nose first um, into the ground, um, like less than 10 metres from a bunch of trees. Mm. Um, So from that, uh, I recall uh, dad yelling at me to cover my eyes. Um, and he smashed the window in and dragged me out. Um, I couldn't stand, Um, I would fractured my ankle, Um, and then from there got taken to the Kapunda Hospital. Um, And then I blacked out pretty much until Flinders Medical Centre later that day, possibly even the next day, and he ended up with a fractured skull and fractured ankle, and Dad said that I nearly slipped into a coma, and the only way that they could get me out was by him yelling at me to wake up because the doctors and nurses couldn't couldn't rouse me. So, mm. big tangent, but wow, primary school it was a lot of support. Yeah, there was a lot of support. Um, I think the question was originally about bullying. Um- <laughs> That's okay. We're on tangents
1: all the time because it's your life story, and that obviously happened and. That's a huge thing to come out of.
3: Yeah. And But I guess, like, I share it because the support that was there through the primary school and the understanding of the kids around because mm-hmm. they were educated, mm-hmm. I guess, yeah. on what was going on. That's right. Um, that's right. I, I think the bullying didn't really st- – I just was a little bit in high school. Um, I remember walking to the bus stop uh, at the end of a school day. <clears throat> now, we had um, – we had negotiated that I would leave school 10 minutes early to give me time to get to the bus stop because if I'd left school when the bell went, I was going to miss the bus. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't walk quick enough.
1: Did you have crutches or a wheelchair or a stick or like what were you using, if anything?
3: Um, I was just walking at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, basically throughout my life, we've used wheelchairs for distance. Mm-hmm. So going to the d- distance or time. So mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. to the zoo, we would use um, a wheelchair, going to the Royal show. Mm-hmm. If we were to go to those things, we would use a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Crutches and stuff um, were post-surgically later on. And mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get to that at some, yeah. in a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so essentially, um, I was really stubborn and I am really stubborn and my parents were really um really intentional in the therapy and the pushing for better or worse (laughs) that I received um because I know that mum and dad were told basically look she's going to end up in a wheelchair for the rest of her life she's never going to have any friends her age don't expect much um And that itself is a catalyst, isn't it? Like the Aussie way is you tell me what not to do and I'm going to go and do it. So Mm. um, that reverse psychology Mm -hmm. kind of all the way through my life, even to the point of, you know, when I got my licence, like people were saying, oh, you'll never be able to drive. And I'm like, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. Mm. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. -hmm. Yeah. So the day that I um, walked to the bus stop, I was there before most like, just as everyone was kind of coming behind me um, and there were two older teenagers at the bus stop who basically put their fists up at me and um, just were picking on the way I walked and yeah it was more the physical threat that got to me at that point Um, you know people have mimicked the way I walk or you know, kind of stared or whatever it might be. Like, that's one thing. But to then actually go to that next level and have a physical thread, um, you know, it's a bit below the belt, really.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, unfortunately, there was one time that I responded badly. To, like, norm- normally uh, when people ask me, hey, what's the situation with your body? I'm quite open and sharing um, about what's happening there. But I remember one time at high school, I'd had a really bad day and I'd probably experienced a bit of that mimicking kind of stuff. And this, he was a year younger than me and he was up in the top building, second floor. And he looked, this kid looked down at me and he said, why are you walking so funny? And I, I don't remember what I said to him, but I basically went none of your business, rah, 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 and then I stopped myself and I went, whoa, what was that? And I looked up at him and I said, I am so sorry. Do you really want to know? And he said, yeah, I do. And so I went, okay, I'm sorry for reacting that way. Were you yelling at him? Before. No, were, were you like talking? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, we were like, uh, okay. it was on the second floor and I was oh, on the ground floor. Yeah. Don't worry, I'm not but I'm not going to yell in here. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm like, but do you actually want to know? And he said yes. So I was able to share with him then. But I think I had to be really careful about my my reaction because most people are curious and most people just want to understand. Mm. Um, Yes, Mm. there are people who are out to bully and control and whatever it is about themselves that they're trying to get met in that process, but to not assume the worst of others that
0: mm. wow yeah so through all those challenges you uh you continued on you uh you went through your your schooling years primary school and then high school uh when we come back from the from the break uh, we'd love to hear a little more about where uh where things took you from there sure uh, this is life first so we're chatting to angela stay tuned <laughs>
2: Hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it at rawcut.com.au
1: Welcome back to Life Burst with Matt and Sarah. And today we're chatting with Angela. And Angela, you've covered a lot of trauma, but also a lot of fun and happy times that you've had throughout your life so far. But like you did have your first major operation when you were fifteen, just fifteen years old. What was that? What do you
3: remember from that? Yeah, it was um, it was a complete jaw reconstruction. Jaw. Yeah, my jaw. So effectively, my bottom jaw had not grown since I was five, around five years of age. Yeah. Um, and so it was very recessed back. Um. Mm-hmm so i was um braces were put on my teeth when i was around 12. um and surgery was impending at any random moment (laughs) like that's from from a 12 year old's perspective um it was like well when is this surgery going to happen and every time i asked that question they're like oh sometime soon sometime soon um so the surgery actually took place when i was 15 yeah um, it was a eight-and-a-half-hour operation at the Royal Adelaide Hospital. Um, the recovery was in a ward with people between the ages of 70 and 90 years old. I think I took the average age from the, of the ward down from 88 down to, like, 30-something <laughs> just by my presence. Um, it was, I think, the lead-up to it. Was no, I know that the lead up to it was really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was the unknown that, um, that did it, I think, because, excuse me, the journey, um, you know, back and forward to the city for the the appointments with the, uh, with the dentist and the braces and stuff like that, with them not being able to help me understand when things were going to happen, um, it put me in a bit of a mental health decline. And, um, thankfully one of my teachers at high school, um, I had a good relationship with them and, um, I just shared with him that I wasn't doing so well. And he spoke to my mum and dad and suggested that I have an extra week off plus the school holidays, um, just to, like a mental health break. Um, what we would now call like a mental health Mm. day, like a mental health week, um, but after the surgery, um, I was puffy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, they took about half a centi- centimetre off my top palate. They pulled my bottom jaw down and out 2.5 centimetres. They put plates and screws all through here and um, bone from my hip in these parts of the jaws and in my chin. Um, the photos are, of the x-rays are just amazing, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, and the answer to do you have a screw loose I And mean, is yes. So if anyone says to me, you're a bit crazy, have you got a screw loose? I'm like, yeah, actually I do. They're here and here because um, we've had recent x-rays to show that, yeah, some of it's moved. But, you know, it's been a long time.
0: Wow. Yeah. So even the recovery from that would have been significant.
3: Yeah, it was. I was in year 11 at the time um, and had a whole term away from school. Mm. Um, I... Was pretty much a straight A student and so taking a term off of school um, wasn't fun for me because I actually liked school um, but still got through. Um, I got into law at uni at the end of year 12 and um, really at that point felt like the world was my oyster. So you know I said before that I was really driven to prove people wrong, so I got my licence. So in Year 12, I got my driver's licence. I did well in Year 12. I got admitted into law school. Um, And so, yeah, effectively at that point in my life, I thought, yay, things are going really well. (laughs) Can you,
1: like, feel all that stuff in your mouth from the outside?
3: Um, as in, like, if I was to touch, yeah, it. yeah. If you
1: like touch it, can you like feel that it's all there? Sorry,
3: someone that, that somebody will ask this. Question, so I'm just doing it for them. Yeah. So I can feel ditches. So I can feel two ditches here, where they've de- like separated and put the bone in. Internally, I can feel that there's metal work there. Um, I don't think and like, I don't think you would be able to feel the metal work, okay. but you can definitely feel something. So
1: where, where's where's the the metal works at the back, just underneath <laughs> the your... metal
3: is actually all around so there's okay. some here in the here, front and the back. Here, yeah, yeah. And and in the, the chin. Mm. Yeah. They nailed some bone into the chin. Into the chin. Yeah, wow. yeah. Okay. I'm glad I was asleep for that.
0: Okay. Wow. <laughs> the That's surgeon incredible. said to
3: me they actually pulled the pull the whole face back and <laughs> Just like good skin,
1: and like, yeah, 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 of course. Well, come on, that's that's yeah, if you think about it, that's probably what they but were. Right. That was,
0: yeah. For our audio listeners, you'll be thankful we don't have any visual. <laughs> Of the surgery <laughs> or even the x rays, but uh, we can we can just imagine.
1: So, if they pulled all the I'm saying on this, if they pulled all the, <laughs> the skin back, did that mean that there were like stitches and other things yeah. in your face? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so um, of that, yeah.
3: lots of internal stitches, okay? So, um, no, no external, there were two external cuts, just like yeah, on, so on the sides, and side. Side. the rest of them were internal. Internal, internal. wow, that's and could huge. did you feel them and everything like that? Oh, yeah, 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 they were um dissolvable stitches so yeah yeah, they could definitely feel them and they would break off a couple of weeks later and I wasn't allowed to eat for six weeks like I could only have sloppy food and they didn't wire it shut like that was an option to wire my jaw shut they didn't but I couldn't open my, I couldn't open or close my mouth properly. So I'll be like, I can't say, I can't like I trying, can't say Bucky Beaver. Um, and it was just like this joke in my house. We're like, I can't say, I can't say Bucky Beaver.
0: Wow. So that was significant. You'd you'd had plenty of doctor's trips to them, but this was the first major surgery. Yeah. But the first of many. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So I've had probably around 40 plus operations, um, wow. My very first one was the appendix remover, which I don't really count, but it is, oh, yeah. it is one in there. Um, so, yeah, the first major one was at 15. And the draw
1: was because of the juvenile arthritis that your body wasn't growing?
3: Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, so from that, so it was 15. Um, I got into law school when I was 17. I was, the, I was at the back seat of another car accident when i'm on mm-hmm. my 18th birthday mm-hmm. Sea belts this time yeah seat belts this time um but it was um we were hit twice once from the side once from behind um the one from behind was a hit and run once from the side um and that hurt my back and my neck significantly like for someone with already mm. significant neck issues and um like a congenital fusion of the neck um like it wasn't good. Um, And so that triggered some mental health spiral as well because I was losing independence. But at the same time, that's when another onslaught of surgery started. Um, So I was 17 when the surgeons said, we can, we can pick up surgery for you now. So just to give some context, Mm -hmm. as you're growing with arthritis, often, the they can't surgically intervene on a lot of things because your body is still growing, mm. your bones are still growing. And so they have to manage the symptoms and try and reduce the damage that's being done to your body in that time. Mm. So when I was seventeen, they said to me, "Look, you're old enough, you've stopped, you know you've theoretically stopped growing. We can start the surgery." So from the age of seventeen to twenty two, um I had probably fifteen hand operations, um, so on fingers, they fused both of my wrists.
1: What does that mean, fuse?
3: Fused. Yeah. So uh, you can probably see it on camera is that that's the position that my wrist is stuck in. Okay, Matt, do some explaining here.
0: Yes. So, uh, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> oh, you're on radio you too. Really <laughs> to
3: I, I can do that if you want. Oh, okay, yeah, so, you, you all right. so if I hold my hand and my arm out in a horizontal position in front of me, the wrist is in a neutral position so that the hand, the arm and the hand are all one line. I cannot bend at the wrist There is no movement whatsoever at the wrist because what little bone was left in the metacarpals have been fused, basically glued Mm. to the main bone, the radius um, of the arm. And that's the same on both wrists.
0: Mm. So if if they hadn't have done that.
3: Um, my hand had actually fallen off my arm, okay, well, so it had dislocated. So um, it was a matter of, matter of cradling the hand because it hurt so much mm. and it was becoming completely non-functional because it had yeah, dropped off my arm pretty much. Um, so they were the hands and wrists, like fingers and wrists, um, multiple arthroscopies of the knees mm. until they could do knee replacements. Um the knee replacements happened after I got married, so I actually had Dave's support through that, um, jumping around a little bit. But we've got I'm married with two boys, and um, we had to put off a knee replacement because I ended up pregnant with one of them.
1: Okay, okay, we'll come back after the <laughs> break, after the break, and we'll hear more of Angela's story here on Life Bus with Matt and Sarah.
2: In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects one in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them, go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a Raw Cut Community Service Announcement.
1: Welcome back to Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. Today we're chatting with Angela, who is sharing a lot about her juvenile arthritis journey. Uh, And I'm so pleased that you are so open to sharing that with with everybody. I specifically know a few people that are going to really find your story encouraging and you're going to be showing them that they are not alone. Mm. So thank you for being so open to sharing really what is going on. But you have mentioned your husband. So Mm. I do have to ask the question that I always ask is, how did you meet your now husband?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to do a long story extremely short, is that we met at the Darwin Airport. Now, we met at the Darwin Airport because we were going to a mutual friend's wedding. At the time, I was living in Adelaide, he was living in Darwin, and the mutual friend's wedding was in Catherine. So I flew up and got off the plane with my couple of my friends and Dave was standing in the hallway waiting for us and he uh, looked me up and down and not in the way that like movies would suggest he looked me <laughs> up and down, he looked me up and down and I went to him, I said, it's arthritis. Like I knew that he was going, what's the deal here? And it was like he was caught off guard. He's like, "Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, "Gotcha, called you, right? <laughs> yeah." You on um, you
0: can read thoughts. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, you can read that one. Like yes, when you've yeah. experienced it enough, yeah, you that's can read right, it, right?
1: And I know what you're talking about. I get that.
3: <laughs> so later, I also realised. Like he said to me, um, this is like further down the track, he goes, "I was ac-, This is Dave speaking now. He goes, "I was actually really worried, going, how the heck am I going to get her in my car?" So he had a troopie, like a, a troop carrier, yeah. and it had a lift kit on it. So we went out to the car park and, like, they had to push me up into the seat because I couldn't climb into the to the troopie myself. Yeah. So we went back and we stayed at his place. Um, There's me and some other friends going down for the wedding.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, there is a whole other story to that for another day. Um, around Cyclone Monica and why I was late. I wasn't supposed to be flying in that day. I was supposed to be there five days earlier. Um, but the next morning when we went to get in the car to go to Catherine, Dave brought out a milk crate and put it by the door to help me get in the car. And so I say to people, he won me over with a milk crate <laughs> um, because he was thinking, like he was thinking ahead, going, how do I help this person, um, get in my car. Mm. How do I make sure that she's okay? And, um, yeah, even that, that week when we got back to Darwin, my friends and I stayed in a backpackers um, hostel and David said to us, look, I know it's your last night, Thursday night, um, why don't we go to the Mindal Markets? So I'll meet you down there. I'll show you some of the local stuff to like to me and my friends. And we said, yeah, sure. He rang me that lunchtime in his lunch break and said, just checking in that we're still going to meet at the market. I'm bringing some chairs in case you need to sit down. And I was just like, that level of thoughtfulness mm. at that point spoke so much. And at that point, I just thought I had a friend in Darwin. Like I was completely naive to anything that was going on. <laughs> um, just had a friend in Darwin. Yeah. Like I was doing a lot of travelling at the time. I was doing some study and and whatnot. But um, we kept in contact over the next couple of months and, um, I flew back up to Darwin. So this, this was in April. I flew back to Darwin late July and, um, we got engaged in the August and I moved to Darwin, uh, September, October of that year. So it all happened pretty quickly. got mm-hmm. married in the February. Yeah. Right. So was he like,
1: how did you not see that I was hitting on you?
3: you, <laughs> you with the milk crate I, don't, the think, I the- don't think he was intentionally hitting on me at that point. <laughs> I think that kind of came later when he goes, well, been thinking about you. <laughs> oh,
4: <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. Nice. I'm sure he's smiling as you're saying this. Yeah, I bet he is. Yeah. He's sitting in the
0: producers' room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you yeah. mentioned a couple of kids along the yeah. way.
3: Yeah, yeah. So it was a real, you know, because we've talked about the arthritis. Um, mm. It was a real journey for us because, you know, we really wanted to have kids, but mm. we weren't sure whether we could or what that would look like from a a physical health point of view. Um, my rheumatologist in Adelaide was really, um, supportive. He said, look, he was so lovely. He's like, you know, I think you'd make a great mum. He said, your body might struggle, but it also might do really well in pregnancy. Like we, but let's just deal with it one day at a time. Mm -hmm. And he said, just bear in mind it might take you a bit longer to get pregnant. Um, so we went with that advice and too much information, but we got pregnant really quickly. <laughs> um, and so had our first son uh, a year and a half after we'd been married. Mm-hmm. But we moved back down to Adelaide to have him. Mm-hmm. Um, the first part of the pregnancy went really well. The second part of the pregnancy I got pretty sick um, with preeclampsia. ended up hospitalised um, for a couple of weeks before I had him. Um, And after I had Levi, um, who's now 13, um, the arthritis relapsed. So I had a great time in the second trimester. The pain was much reduced. Flexibility had increased. Um, Those lovely hormones that, you know, the pregnant body gets were great. Um, But post having Levi relapsed quite significantly Mm -hmm. and I couldn't really walk for about a month. Um, And it took a... Yeah, extra medication to to get on board with that. Um, Sounds like it went really dark, really quick. Yeah, it did. Yeah, how did you keep the light? To be honest, I didn't. At that point, I scrambled. I ended up with postnatal depression as well at that point, and I, when I look back at it, goes probably no wonder. Really, like my physical body was. Um, struggling, Mm -hmm. new mum, a lot of the medical profession, like apart from my rheumatologist, the obstetricians were really like, um, overprotective towards the end of the pregnancy. Um, Mm -hmm. I even had one nurse say, one midwife say to me after I'd had Levi, are you sure you're going to be able to care for this baby? So really challenged my capacity. Um, and that was really hard for me Mm -hmm. as someone who's been quite independent. even in the struggles, um, to have someone question my capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that point, it was really, it was a dark time because I would try and speak life to myself, like say the things that I know to be true, do the things I know that normally help, but as though nothing did. And it wasn't until... I spoke with, um, I went to a mum's group um, when Levi was about nine months old and they had someone present on postnatal depression and I was able to say actually I think that's me and in doing so the weight lifted and Mm -hmm. the light came back and Mm -hmm. yeah so I think it's not the first time that things have got dark for me. Um, I feel like I'm jumping all over the place but When we had that car accident when I was 18 and when those surgeries started, I ended up quite depressed and quite in a dark place. Mm. And um, I questioned whether there was more to life than this. Um, And it was that point that I found hope in Jesus. So that's where the faith part of my story kind of came in was that there is hope in pain. There is hope in dark situations and his name is Jesus. How did he come in if he's
1: not a physical person and help you?
3: Oh, great question. <laughs> um, I, I, think, I think I can only answer that by saying it was a revelation. It was a a heart and spirit journey. It was a, it went from a, a head knowledge to a heart knowledge it went from hey there's got to be something more to life than this and then like I didn't grow up in a Christian household Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but I'd been given a Gideon's Bible at high school and my friend was a Christian and in reading the Gospels reading about you know I've come that they may have life and life to the full I was like I want this there's got to be more to life than laying on a hospital bed, unable to move. There's got to be more to life than struggling. Um, so, yeah. And Dave's been a huge part of that journey as well with the kids. And, um, you know, when I've got two boys, so Malachi came um, four years after, three and a half, four years after Levi. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, health took another detour. Um, I was almost in a wheelchair. Like I was almost wheelchair bound um, when we had Malachi, like I could barely walk by the end of it. Um, and that's when I had my first knee replacement. <clears throat> right, right. Okay, well, we will come back to hear more
1: of Angela's story straight after this here on Life Bus with Matt and Sarah.
2: Raw Cut is also on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter with the handle Raw Cut AU.
1: Welcome back to Life Best with Matt and Sarah. Today we're chatting with Angela and you've covered so much of your story so far. It's mm-hmm. the last 10 minutes of the show. And you did mention previously that you were starting to become a lawyer, you went mm-hmm. to law school. What happened with that?
3: Yeah, um, I finished my law degree. Um, I did two and a half degrees and legal practice in five years. I don't recommend it. Mm. Um, Doing it over a longer period of time is probably more wise. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a challenge. I think I I came to faith in the second year of law school um, and was really challenged at how to reconcile a God of mercy and grace Mm -hmm. with a justice system that, you know, it's about getting what you want or... Mm -hmm punishing someone for something and those kind of things and mm-hmm. um but you know I, I got through law school and I, I did reasonably well um straight after law school I went into community mediation um so helped to resolve neighborhood disputes about you know noise and cats and dogs and those kind of things okay. and um I helped a, a group f- um we found the we established the Lawyers Christian Fellowship in Adelaide. I was part of the steering committee of that. And in that process, I met um, uh, what became a mentor for me, who became a mentor for me. Um, And I was able to talk with him about uh, my concerns around, you know, what we're doing in the legal system and, and God's way of doing things and whether or not there was a different way. And even back then, this was in 2002, he was saying that there was a group forming um, to to speak into that space
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, and to sort of watch this space kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of pause there for a minute. I worked in immigration law for a while. Um, then I had a bunch of surgeries that we've spoken about, mm-hmm. moved to Darwin, um, got married today, moved to Darwin, worked in um, the Department of Justice up in Darwin um, in governance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we moved back down here, obviously, again, had children, had a bunch more operations. Um, then I went into family law for a little while. Mm-hmm. And sorry, while I was in Darwin, I got a phone call from my mentor in Adelaide and said, hey, Ange, you know that group that I talked to you about we've just started a, an organisation called PeaceWise. Um, so this was 2007. Um, Mark rang me and said, we've just started an organisation with, with called PeaceWise. We've got an inaugural, tra- inaugural training coming up in Adelaide um, and I think it was July of that year. Um, can you come down for the training? So I came down for the training. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's, um, I think we spoke, we've spoken off-air about my involvement with Peacewise and that's where it began Mm -hmm. um, was when Peacewise started in Australia in 2007. Um, So just holding that again, I'm jumping all over the place. Having done family law for a little while, I, I saw the the tensions and the devastation and how much damage the court system can actually do. Mm -hmm. And particularly when it comes to parenting arrangements for children, the court can't tell you how to relate to each other. Um, The court might be able to say, hey, you know, kids spend time with mum these days and spend time with dad these days, but it doesn't fix any of the relational issues. Mm -hmm. And so I moved into family mediation um, for a time and then, the health declined again. I've never really had the physical capacity to work full-time and lawyers generally need to work full-time and then some. So I'm not sure I was ever going to fit the bill um, in that regard. Mm-hmm. So doing quasi-legal stuff was the way to go. Um, so I did, yeah, family mediation for a while. Then I broke my back. Then I had brain surgery, which I know is, we're not going to go into that now, but just effectively there's a whole lot of surgical interventions, they fused my head to my neck and a bunch of other stuff. Long story short, the way I'm using the law stuff now, if you will, is that I have become the state ministry coordinator, South Australian ministry coordinator for Peacewise, which is not a legal thing, right? It's a a biblical conflict resolution um, organisation. We seek to build Peacemakers for Life, um, we have training opportunities for children all the way through to adults. Um, my role is to um, network with individuals and churches and and basically to encourage people to be peacemakers and build cultures of peace um, but effectively that all my passion for that all stems from my involvement in law school and through various legal organisations and realising that there has to be, again, a better way, um, a way that brings peace, brings reconciliation and brings hope, really, Um, because how often do we have conflicts in our lives and go, oh, this is the end of the world, this is too much and not know how to navigate that? But to be able to be part of an organisation that can bring hope and light and give tools. Um, real practical tools on, on how to navigate that space. Um, it's a real blessing and a joy. Yeah. And you just sound
1: so passionate about it as well. Which yeah. is Amazing. So much more we could share. I know. <laughs> 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 Sometimes it feels like it's not long enough. Um, but we do want to ask you the final question that we ask all of our guests, and I'm sure you've got some pearl of wisdom inside of you (laughs) to share. If you had one piece of advice to share with
3: those who are watching and listening to us today, what would that be? I think that there's always hope. Like no matter what you go through, no no matter what situation you are in, there is always hope. And to seek it out. And whether that's talking to someone or reading a book or whatever that might be to step outside of yourself in those darkest moments there is always hope whether it be conflict whether it be health relationships no matter what it is there's always hope
0: mm. great advice
3: mm-hmm.
0: well thank you Angela for for sharing that with us thank you for your honesty in, yeah, in sharing us through some of the challenges uh, not only your operations but how that affected your your mental health, how you've got through that, the hope you have, and uh, uh, and the organisation that you're a part of, uh, what a what a great thing to be advocating for peace amongst mm. uh, our world. We we all long for it, yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, if our listeners can look up Peacewise and 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 have a look at those principles, they are are really life changing, aren't they, for they relationships, are. families, wherever you're at. Yeah,
3: we've yeah. seen so many lives changed.
0: Mm, yeah, brilliant.
1: This has been Life Bursts. You can catch up with us wherever you get your podcasts from and on YouTube, Facebook, and, of course, community radio and television. I'm Sarah.
0: And I'm Matt. Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned
2: next time. Life Bursts is hosted by Matthew Karat and Sarah Freeman with production by Reese Jarrett and Kay Hoshraw Ozartigan. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcart.com.au. This is is a raw cut production.